So like I was saying, um, I don't have uh, an intro, but I am fascinated with what we are about to read. Um, that there's this, this picture we're going to see, and a lot of stuff is happening, stuff that happened up until that point, and stuff that will happen after this point, that focuses on what is happening here. It's a significant event, the significance of Jesus' baptism. Um, even while we were praying just now, thinking, we go to church and we, we pray a lot. Like, what does that, what does that do? This, this meeting of the physical and the metaphysical, what I can do in contemplative prayer and the power that it possesses. We don't always really see the immediacy of what is about to happen. But there, there is a reality that occurs in prayer. God, the omnipresent God is there hearing it. And things, parts and people are moving before you were ever born to make manifest whatever the changing reality of your heart in prayer is going to bring about. That God already knew it, and he's sovereign over it. I just think that's so incredible. Yeah. Well, I'm Ed. Hi. I am an elder at Riverwood, and we're going to talk about Mark's account of Jesus' baptism. So pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to have open ears, open minds, and hearts for the people that are here, for myself, that we would each come to understand what you've been given, have given for us. Help it to pierce our hearts, that we could leave in greater understanding of something that is immensely important. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much. Amen. Would you open up your Bibles, if you brought one, uh, to Mark chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are translations at the back for you to steal, as the slides say when when you walk in. Grab one, take it, it's yours. If you don't have one, if you do have one on your Bible, open it up. It's important, I think, to follow along, to have something in your hands. If not, sit and listen. I hope my voice is pleasing to listen to. And... Yeah. So last week, Aaron taught on Mark's opening verses as we launch our two years worth of a study of the book of Mark. Now we saw how Jesus busts onto the scene uh, with John crying prophecy from Isaiah and Malachi and declaring a new king and a new kingdom at hand. I think it's, it's nice to note that a new king and a new kingdom means a new way of life. And it's important to remember that this event marked that change for people. But Mark begins without a history lesson. And it's, quite a bit is said in other Gospels about Christ's life. And before this, but Mark, he's, he's in a hurry. And so, if anyone here knows me, I am rarely uh, in a hurry. I walk kind of slow. Bridget always telling me uh, to hurry up. She's leaving me in the dust. And you can ask her that going to the mall is frustrating with me because I walk really slow. So reading Mark is hard because I, I want more. I mean, he's just like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. In preparation, uh, I encountered a lot of different ideas uh, in its brevity or expansion about what this means, Christ's baptism. Um, and, and we're not going to cover all those different interpretations, but to dive into it on your own, I encourage you go out and Google it, Yahoo it, whatever you're going to do, pick up a study Bible, have a conversation, and look into it yourself. But the more you read and come to understand, remember this, uh, that God's ways are above our ways. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. Don't ever think for a moment you can comprehend God or see through what he is doing. 
The one way that has been given for us is Christ and his humanity, and through the gifting of the Spirit, we can come to know him in his word. So please follow along with me in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. It's helpful for our purposes today to also reference the other gospel accounts of Jesus' baptism as well in Matthew, Luke, and John. Uh, in mentioning this, I might jump around a little bit and not provide time to flip to the citation, but um, just remember, while we cover it, it's a single event. Different accounts, single event. A seriously significant event. And so if you want to flip back uh, to Matthew, you can, but I'm going to read Matthew's account, chapter 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering him said, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He then permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the multiple accounts in Scripture, and even today, we look at baptism, it might seem kind of commonplace. Uh, people get baptized all the time. You see it on TV, it's in, in people's families, in pictures, and videos. Uh, we see babies in certain denominations get baptized. Um, we've had family, our friends partake of believers' baptism, and we rejoice with them when this occurs. But this picture of Jesus' baptism is a special one, a significant one. What John is doing here is relatively unknown to the Jews at this time. Uh, they would have understood some ritual washing ceremonies becoming clean, um, but immersion, baptizo, as it's used, uh, means to dip and like baptism, but nothing what John was doing. This sets apart and makes him stand out to become known as John the Baptizer. His unique actions, his unique character, make him well known, establish a name for himself, and the unique message he proclaims brings special attention upon himself and the one who is soon to arrive. The meekness of God, emptied into an earthly shell, required the fanfare of another. Someone else to make straight a path for the one that is to come after, like we heard last week in Mark chapter 1 as well. Uh, something I want to accentuate here is that John's baptism was one for repentance. He proclaimed the need to prepare for the coming king, the coming Messiah. But isn't this Jesus, a sinless one, the blameless Lamb of God? Why is he coming to John for a baptism? In the baptism recorded in Matthew, like we read, uh, John even resists Jesus. One translation uses the word forbade him to come. It's very strong language. and That just shows that John didn't understand. Uh, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Uh, if, if you read uh, Dr. Uh, MacArthur comments on his own on commentary on the passage, uh, the pronouns, um, as they are written, they were emphatic. Like, I 
have need to be baptized by you and you come to me? Just an immense curiosity. I mean, when I finally started to wrap my brain around the idea that did Jesus repent? Is that why he was there? Um, Studies have shown that in the early church, there was a misunderstanding of this and that uh, some people wrote that they were embarrassed that their Savior needed to confess some sin in his life. Very confusing. Um, if ever listen to Dr. Frank Turk on talk about um, evaluation of Scripture and getting to the truth of the matter as he writes, um, one of the points he makes is embarrassing testimony. Um, what here would be more awkward than trying to explain that the God of the universe needed to confess sin? Did he violate his own nature? So Mark, in his written declaration, being an account of Christ's ministry on earth, the good news of his ascent as a king and a deity being marked, that this would come in the form of baptism meant for repentance, it is just strange and unforeseeable enough that the culture of the time would not have made this up if they were trying to show, if their intention was that Jesus was God. That So many people uh, through time have made the claim that Jesus was just a good guy a wise man or a teacher, and perhaps at best, a prophet. And at worst, the invented embodiment of a ruling class made up to manipulate and control other people. Just sad stuff. Uh, events like this demonstrate the true-to-life accounting of events as they happened, the humility and truth of the gospel, even though it can be difficult to understand. Did Jesus need to repent? The answer is no. We know this. But what does this mean then? So what is Jesus' response? In Matthew 3, uh, verse 15, Jesus says, Permit it at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. (laughs) When you read that, paired with the understanding that John was proclaiming a baptism for repentance, what does that mean? John immediately allows it. Jesus is baptized. He obeys Jesus and trusts him. Jesus knows what he's doing. It's almost as if he says, because I said so. But to fulfill righteousness, what a great picture of obedience in Jesus. The worldly minds of men there didn't get it. They didn't really need to. Jesus knew it had to happen, even if it looked embarrassing. He needed to do everything the Father required of him in righteous obedience. To be correct, the way the Father said to be. Even if we couldn't wrap our heads around it. It is a great mystery. So back in Mark, the event moves quickly. Verse one, or verse 9, uh, chapter 1, Jesus receives his baptism. He has done what the Father has given to accomplish at this time. This man, the Christ, come down from Nazareth to receive a baptism for repentance, though he needed not confess any. An interesting side point is in the text, uh, it references the very first sentence, the the region of Galilee, because nobody reading earlier in history would have known that Nazareth was even a town. It was so obscure, away from this corrupt heart of Jerusalem. Even Gundry in his commentary on the New Testament would go so far as to identify that Christ came down here by himself the lone Galilean. He has come down, receives John baptism, and then it gets even more interesting, as if we weren't already confused enough. 
In Mark chapter 1, verses 10, he says that Jesus was coming up out of the water and the heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. So up to now, we have fulfillment of prophecy in the actions of people, the emphatic speaking, the shouting to the crowds, moral impetus moving people to the Jordan to partake in baptism and prepare for the kingdom and a man coming that they have been waiting for for a long, long time. So Jesus is baptized, coming up out of the water, and then God the Father breaks into space and time and makes a declaration of coronation and affirmation on his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. And so we read it as it happens here. The word um, in the translation is the word schizo. It means to rip. Um, used it one other time in the New Testament at the crucifixion to describe the veil separating the people from God, being torn from top to bottom. It's used at the beginning here and at the end there. What a wonderful picture. Uh, we have strong indication that there was not some expression in the writing here or even a vision given to the people, that this was a real visual event, the metaphysical meeting the physical. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 32, John the baptizer is testifying to Jewish leaders and Levite priests that were sent out to question him. And it says, John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. In Matthew, I saw. In Mark, I saw. Just like in Mark chapter 1, verses 10, we read, He saw the heavens being torn open. This sounds to me, in, in, right away, it sounds kind of violent. Um, something sudden and fast when something rips. It's, it's quick. Uh, that's another side apologetic. Is, is I enjoy displays of power, and, and this is one that really, like this is God busting in. God gives the truth of the matter, though. He doesn't need flattery. He knows what gets to the heart of an issue, what will move people and change hearts. And so if men would have written this, what would men have said? So maybe it goes like this. Heaven rips open. This dimensional portal is floating there, and the power of God fires down on Jesus like a torrent of energy, some pillar of fire, and people can't even look at it. They're terrified. It's super dramatic. And Jesus is standing there with his arms wide open like he's some kind of superhero, absorbing all this power, and he's displaying it so that he is God on earth, and everyone everywhere will right away know it. This immense display of power. It's God. But what did we read? It said, like a dove. I mean, what kind of weak sauce is that? It's a dove. You've seen a dove? They're like pictures of doves everywhere. Bible covers. There's doves. I didn't. I didn't like it when I read it. That's not. But isn't this appropriate? One of my favorite character traits to contemplate in Christ's meek masculinity is strength under control. This image of a dove to show the character of the Spirit. Not to say that the Holy Spirit is a dove. It's not some bird flying down on him. The dove is graceful. It's beautiful. It's gentle. It's controlled. What a perfect picture to continue the way Jesus had acted on the world as we have accountings in the other gospel since his birth. The same God who can rip apart reality itself and speak to his son 
on earth can restrain himself to the point where all that power seems as harmless as a dove. Strong hands capable of such destruction. We've read it all through the Old Testament. Used in love to bring much good through gentleness. I love this picture. This is what, this is what a man looks like. Strength under control. Um, that's a lesson for another day. I, I, you can spend time on that. It's a lot of good stuff in there, but yeah, we'll move on. The imagery is so wonderful. So in verse 11, a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. In another background commentary, it says this. The father's voice authenticated the messianic sonship, echoing Psalm 2-7. This is my son. Identified Jesus with the suffering servant in Isaiah 42-1. With him, I am well pleased. And perhaps identified Jesus with Abraham's willingness to suffer Isaac as an offering, sacrifice, echoing Genesis 22-2. Whom I love. The culmination of prophecy. Proclamations made. So we have an audible confirmation of Christ that this is the Messiah prophesied. A coronation of a king in the inception of his coming kingdom. God the Father speaking into the universe, affirming Jesus. John the Baptist and all the present witnessed the event. Do you think they were startled? There were onlookers standing awestruck, mouths agape that this is happening. I mean, what did he sound like? Have you ever heard God's voice? I have not, and I would really like to. I pray for it. Um, but what was it? An audible manifestation of power on earth. An attestation from God the Father. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Just that sentence inside of the three quick verses that we have here. It's action-packed. It's a testimony from God to the Son on earth, seeing Jesus, who hasn't even begun his ministry, truly is the Son of God. Prophets were never called the Son. A lot of other stuff, uh, they were called friends of God, man of God, servant of God, but Jesus was no prophet. He's called the Son of God over 50 times through the Gospels. It's important to note that sons have the natures of their fathers. And Jesus had the nature of his. So Jesus, the beloved son, and already he is pleasing to the father. But what has he done yet? Luke records John the Baptist saying in his testimony that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Leviticus, the law says that the priest on Yom Kippur would offer a sacrifice for himself before offering sacrifice for the people. Jesus, not needing to offer sacrifice for himself before his baptism, acknowledged that he would fulfill all righteousness, obeying the law, and by doing what the Father had been given for him to do, pointing to the Old Testament and drawing a line between the law and self. It's providence at the start, the end at the beginning. What a mystery that this is. A picture, a demonstration of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, so what? We can read things in Scripture and 
never take anything away from them. Do you ever pick this up and, and hope to, to flip to a page, which I encourage you not to do, and think you're just going to find some kind of wisdom in there that's going to affect my life? Do you engage your mind, all of your mind, all your soul, all your strength? Do you take that and bear it in intention with what you read? Jesus' baptism started a period of action and authority on earth for ministry. I know we're going to cover this again uh, through Mark, but I want you to turn forward, just real quick, to Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 27. And we read this. They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. They began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? They were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We don't know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He doesn't even give them an answer. He's like, you already saw. There's my baptism. You were there. Maybe some of them were. You didn't believe it then? So which is it? You can't explain to me? I'm not explaining to you. <laughs> Jesus himself points back to this event. This is what gave him authority to act out his own divine power on earth. His baptism. His baptism doing the work the Father had given for him to do, to fulfill all righteousness, to do what was required, to be correct, morally correct. Do you know Jesus? Some in here do, and some do not. I wouldn't try to make the mistake of thinking that everyone possesses um, the thing that I feel that I possess. And if you don't, and you read this, it is paramount to come to understand Christ. It is a call to action. So I urge you to study it, to ask questions. In an intro speech, uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll was giving at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he told the students there that one of the dangers in coming there for the first time is that nobody knows you. Uh, you grow up in a place where you are known. And then you move out into the world to, to really embody function. Nobody knows you. He finishes by saying, we all need someone who knows us well. well. Who knows you better than your creator? Don't you want to get to know him? To understand him? Spend time with him? If you don't, I would ask you, what are you waiting for? Have a conversation, ask a question, 
Open the scriptures and let that heart of stone be replaced with one of flesh through relationship in authority that Christ possessed on earth through his baptism. He is the one and only Savior, needing not to offer a sacrifice for himself to be offered up as one for you. So I ask you here today that if, when, you hear the gospel, believe it, and go and be baptized. So would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Father, for your written revelation. Thank you for the words you give us to understand and for the great mysteries that you put in front of us to simply accept that authority given to Jesus to minister on earth would be the thing that transforms us in relationship as we come to know him. I don't even know what else to say. Thank you, Father, for this, for the people that are here. We want the truth. No matter how simple in its presentation or mysterious it seems to us. Thank you so much, Lord. If there are people here, Father, encourage them to to speak up on their behalf, to come to know you. We want to confess you, Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.